And one of, I have many weaknesses. One of my biggest weaknesses is worry. And um, I worry that when I stand before you in the pulpit that I'll not have a word from God. I, I can truthfully tell you that. I, I, it burdens me. And um, it is not my intention to come here and try and impress you with my knowledge because I'm not that smart. You already know that. Or my ability to speak or to persuade you in a, in a certain direction because that's not my responsibility. That is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. And what I do pray is that God will give me messages that will, that will help you know him better and grow as a Christian or become a Christian and find that place of service that God has. And in all of this, we'll be strengthened and our church will be blessed and we'll do the work of the Lord until he comes back. And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with the sermon for this morning because there's so much background. You know, to just jump into Matthew chapter 1 and read verses 18 to 25 and say, this is the story of the birth of Jesus when he came and was born in the manger in Bethlehem. And, uh, and we're going to look at this and a couple more Sundays, Christmas will be over and we'll go back to something else. But folks, I'm convinced more and more, and especially this past week, that there are great moments in history. And three of the greatest moments of mankind's history is the birth of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Those are the three greatest moments as we look back. And one of the great moments yet to come is when Jesus Christ comes back as the Lord of Lords and as the King of Kings. And we must not treat his birth as something that we just look at in the month of December or a couple of weeks before Christmas. But folks, the story of his birth is monumental. It is the foundation of our faith. And that's what John was trying to say. You remember we've been reading out of John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, this is one of the most monumental moments in history that we're getting ready to read about. And I'm saying all of that to say I pray and I ask you to pray that God will take his word and he'll help us understand why the Lord Jesus came to this earth. And we would be reminded that he is the Savior who came from heaven to earth. With all that said, let's pray and ask him to bless us, okay? Father, as we look again at this old, old story, give us, Lord, a fresh, fresh understanding of what it means that Jesus came and was born of a virgin and lived on this earth and died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Lord, help us to see Jesus of Nazareth as none other than the very Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ the one who is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Father, I pray that you'll feed us from your word today. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be receptive to the message that Matthew wrote, not only to the Christians in that early church, but Lord, to every generation of believers. And Father, may we understand why your Son came to this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me read these verses, Matthew 1, chapter, eight, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. You and I in these last two Sundays have been looking at the story of Christmas. And these are some things that we said that the Christmas story is. First of all, the Christmas story, and Steve, if you'll go to that, or, or D, thank you. Uh, the, the Christmas story is Jesus' story. And again, he is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. This is the greatest story of history, past, present, and future. And Christmas is the story that changes the hearts and lives of man eternally. Christmas is the story of the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift ever given. And the Christmas story has a divine purpose. In the last two weeks, we have talked about who Jesus is. Is he really God? And folks, Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Where was Jesus before the Christmas story? You and I have found out from the Word of God and from the words of our Lord himself that he was with the Father in heaven, but he came to this earth. And folks, this morning and this morning and hopefully next Sunday morning, we'll, we'll finish up. Why did Jesus come to the earth? And folks, to understand this, you and I need to take an in-depth look again at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And here's some thoughts that I want you and I to consider as we read and study the birth story of Jesus. First of all, the Holy Spirit of God inspired Matthew. Now, again, I hope you understand, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a Baptist, but because I'm a Christian, and I believe, I believe that this is God's Word. I believe that through the Spirit of God in a way that I cannot fully understand, God took men like Matthew and he gave divine inspiration to tell the story of who Jesus Christ is. And although God used men, these are the words from God himself. So the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write the gospel of Matthew 20 to 30 years after Jesus had gone back into heaven. And folks, I want to point something out. Like the other three Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, these books are not written about the writers, but they are written about who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of these Gospels is to point out that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 1, look how this book begins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Folks, it seems, and this is why, folks, I'm really concerned. I hope you'll hang with me today. I'm not trying to teach you a Sunday school lesson or teach you a, a Bible course. I'm simply trying to tell you what I believe the Spirit of God was trying to do through Matthew. The Holy Spirit used Matthew to accomplish at least three important tasks in writing the gospel 
of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew becomes the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And again, please hang with me this morning uh, because I can understand this. It must be pretty simple, okay? And I'm not trying to impress you with knowledge. I'm trying to help you and I to get a grip on what's going on here. The Old Testament had given the history of the Adam family. Now, please hear again, hear what I'm saying, okay? And I'm not talking about the Adam's family on TV, okay? I'm talking about the Adam family. When God created Adam and Eve, whose image did God create man and woman in? In his image. You and I know that. The Word of God tells that. But folks, mankind that was created in the image of God was given the freedom of choice, and man sinned. And after man sinned, Adam brought forth children in his likeness after his image. I want to give you a passage of Scripture, Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, and it's going to be on the screen. And folks, I want to point something out. In in the early stages of the Bible, as God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve and their descendants, they're given choices. They can go in the way of God or they can rebel and go against the way of God. And you and I know the history of the world that mankind continues to rebel against God. The first children that Adam and Eve had, Cain and Abel, Cain slew his own brother, Abel. And folks, listen to this, Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness. Now, folks, this is a very important point. This child, the children, the descendants of Adam were born in his likeness. That means that... Adam's children had a tendency to sin and rebel against God. God's desire that you and I would bear his image, but you and I, we bear the image of our forefather, even Adam, the first man who sinned against God. And and that might not sound important till we understand what Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Folks, every single person who has been born to man has been a sinner. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, God is fulfilling the promises in the Old Testament to send a Savior, to send a Redeemer, to send a sin-bearer who would save the generations of the Adam family. Does that make sense? Jesus came to save sinners. Well, who are sinners? Is it just one particular family? Is it just the people that live in a certain part of town? Is it just people with one uh, racial or socioeconomic background, as they say in our day? Folks, every single person born is a sinner because we bear the image of our forefathers. But Jesus came to give us new birth into the kingdom of God, to give us rebirth Folks, these verses will not be on the screen, and I just wrote them down this morning, but let me read to you and just listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
And in the verse before that, 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Folks, the scriptures try and point out what we're like before we trust Christ and after we trust Christ. That's why in John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again. We are sinners by nature. We love to sin. We love to rebel against God. We'd rather have it our way and go in the opposite way. And all throughout the Old Testament history, guess what had been happening? Mankind had rebelled over and over against God. Would anybody argue that that is our nature? Well, mankind was in a mess. Amen? You and I are, amen, still is. Thank you very much. And until we meet this Savior, folks, I want to tell you, Matthew stands at a critical moment in history. The Old Testament illustrated the truth that the wages of sin is death. But beginning with the New Testament, Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the story of Jesus emphasizes what? Life. Life. This is what this is all about. The New Testament is called the Gospels because it is the good news. And the message of the New Testament is although we have sinned, and the wages of sin is what? Death, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And D, if you'll just leave that verse right there. I don't want to go the rest of it yet, but the wages of sin is death. But folks, what happens when Jesus comes? There's life. Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and what? The life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Folks, my whole point in saying this in the Old Testament, it is the family of Adam that continues to rebel against God and his goodness and his mercies. And, G and God keeps telling, I'm going to send a redeemer, a savior, someone who will take the punishment of your sin upon himself. Someone who will cause you rather to die in sin to give you a new birth into the kingdom of God. And it's going to be a gift. That's what Paul says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, the Old Testament is a book of promise that a Savior is coming. The New Testament, beginning with Matthew 1.1, is the book of fulfillment. And folks, fulfilled is one of the key words in the gospel of Matthew. It's used at least 15 times. You remember when we were reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, as the angel tells uh, Joseph that Mary, who is a virgin, is going to bear a son. The angel says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And of course, that verse is Isaiah 7, 14, that we read as the verse of the week. And folks, it's important to understand that Matthew and his gospel uses at least 129 quotations from the Old Testament. Is it an accident that Matthew continues to refer back to the Old Testament? Absolutely not. One of the purposes of the gospel of Matthew is to show that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament promises concerning the Messiah. And folks, again, Jesus is the one and only Son of God and Savior of the world. Folks, Matthew 
bridges the gap between sinful man and the Savior who came. And secondly, Matthew's, one of Matthew's tasks is to introduce the true king. Folks, have you ever thought about this? Have we ever introduced anyone? Have you ever been given that privilege before? Well, let me tell you something. I never thought about it. Matthew is introducing us to King Jesus. Well, in introducing Jesus to others, Matthew is reminding us that as Christians, we're introducing Jesus to everybody every day of our lives. Do you and I know that? As they see us and our response to him, we are literally introducing the Lord Jesus Christ to them by the way that we live. And folks, every one of the gospel writers had a different emphasis. No one gospel could tell the whole story, but together, together, they give us a full glimpse of a picture of who this person that was born that night in a manger truly is. In Matthew's gospel, he emphasizes that Jesus is the king. One of the reasons he does that, because his main audience is the Jews who were expecting Messiah. Mark, in his gospel, portrays Jesus as a servant. He is writing to many Roman readers, and he wants them to know that Jesus came to die for them. Luke is written to the Greeks In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And Luke knows that, and because he is a Greek, he wants everyone else who is not a Jew, he wants them to know that this is a Savior. And when we get to the Gospel of John, John wants the whole world to know that Jesus came to save the world, for God so loved the world. Folks, do you see it's no accident these gospel writers give a clear picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he begins by telling us that what God is going to do in this baby born in the manger goes all the way back in history to the first man and the first woman who chose to sin. But there's something else that I've got to tell you about Matthew. As Matthew was writing this, he was a man whose life had been changed by Jesus. Let me point out two passages of Scripture, uh, two verses, Matthew 9, verses 9 and 10. Look at these two verses. Matthew 9, verses 9 and 10. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as he sat at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. Folks, some Bible scholars think that this man, Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew is the same as the man called Levi in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. Now, why do we mention this? It was not uncommon for Jews to have two names. Think about it. Simon becomes who? Peter, the rock. Folks, it was, un, it was not uncommon. Saul of Tarsus becomes who? Paul, the great missionary. And folks, why make such an emphasis about this? Well, folks, Matthew had been changed by Jesus. Jesus changed his life, and Jesus gave him a new name. The name Matthew means the gift of God. And apparently, upon his conversion, he was given this new name. But folks, listen to who this man is before he meets Jesus. 
and Jesus calls him to salvation. We're told in Matthew 9, 9, he is working in the tax office. That means he is a tax collector. Folks, think about this for just a moment. Tax collectors were some of the most hated people in Jewish society. They were traitors. They who were Jews had yielded themselves to the Roman government to take up taxes, so they were traitors to their own nations. They were considered thieves by their own persons, uh, by their own people. They sold themselves to the Romans to work for the government. Each tax collector purchased from Rome the right to gather taxes, and the more he gathered, the more he kept. Who did Jesus go to? He went to the tax collectors. Folks, who would Jesus use to write the story of his birth and life and death and resurrection? It would be a man like Matthew whose heart was changed. Folks, whom does God call today to tell his story? It's you and me. We're the Matthews. We're the Marks. We're the Lukes. We're the Johns. Perhaps we're not writing a literal gospel, but we are telling the story of Jesus Christ. And folks, later on in chapter 11, verse 19, and we don't have this on the screen, but it says that Jesus had become a friend of tax collectors and, and sinners. We've asked this question before, but I want to ask it again. If Jesus came to earth today, where would, where would he go? Where would he go? And I'm going to put this in my own little world, okay? Jesus would go to country club convenience. Jesus would go to Rat's store. Jesus would go to the Woodsdale Hunting Club. Jesus would go to Walmart. Jesus would go to the Dollar Tree or Dollar General, not because he's a tight wad, but because he loves people that are lost in sin. And this is where Jesus was going. Wherever people were lost, this is a story of the Son of God. It was God's plan that he would send his son to tell the world, I love you. This is what the Christmas story is all about. Guess who he's sending right now to country club convenience, to rats, to Walmart, to Dollar Tree, to Dollar General. He's sending you and me. Amen. Amen. He really is, folks. We're the modern-day Christmas story as people see Jesus born in our hearts and in our lives. Hadn't even got to the Christmas story yet, have I? I realize that. Folks, there's so much in this passage of Scripture. So who does Mark say Jesus is, Matthew say Jesus is, and why did he come? And folks, that's what he tells us in these verses, verses 18 to 25. Let me say this, and I'm going to close, I promise. I want, to get, I want to get through this, okay? This one point. Next Sunday morning at 8.30 service, we're going to look at five reasons why Matthew wrote these verses. But I want to point something out. Why does Matthew give us these first 16 verses, this genealogical record? Why does he keep talking about so-and-so, depending upon your translation, begot, 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 or the father of. Folks, to the Jewish nation, genealogies were very important. It proved the tribe that you belonged to. 
It proved your rights to inheritance. Folks, so often we don't read those first 16 verses because, first of all, they got a lot of names in there that we cannot even pronounce. Amen? But, folks, let me point something out. Again, again, Matthew's telling us this man, Jesus, he is no accident of history. It is a plan of God. And, folks, it is no accident when you and I come to know him as, as our Savior. I share this with you again in a humble way. Please take it that way, okay? I have my mother's last name because my mother and dad were never married. My father's last name was Brian, B-R-Y-A-N. His name was William Henry Bryan. And I'll be honest, I don't know anything about my ancestry. I really don't. You know, I go to have a physical or see a doctor. They say, well, what about your father's side? Well, I don't know. I, and I literally don't. I don't know anything about my father's side. But folks, let me tell you something I do know. I know my spiritual heritage. Amen. Hear this in a humble way. And I can trace my spiritual ancestry back to the cross of Jesus Christ where he died for me to make me his child. And folks, this is why this genealogical record is so important. Matthew is saying Jesus is a descendant of David. He's a descendant of Abraham. Not because he wanted to be a Jew, but because God had promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you through all the nations of the world. I'm going to bless them through your descendancy. That's Genesis 12. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God told David, there will be someone from your descendancy who will be on the throne forever and ever. Folks, this is what Jesus does. He is the promised Savior to save the Adam family. And he is the one who will be king forever and ever and ever. And for all of this is in this story. Folks, it's so beautiful. It's more than meets the eye. But the main thing you and I need to know is that Jesus came to save the lost. And that includes you and me. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Father, the Lord didn't even get into verses 18 to 25. But Lord, I pray that you have spoken. Lord, help us to see that the coming of Jesus was no accident or just some religious event, but it was your plan of history that a lost humanity could be born again into the kingdom of God. And, Father, many of us perhaps might not be able to say, well, I know who my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was, like the Jews did. But, Father, I'm thankful that we can trace our birth into the kingdom of God back to the cross of your Son, Jesus. <coughs> Father, I thank you for the promise of your word that in him we have become the very children of God. And I thank you, Father, that today, because of the Christmas story, we can say, I am a child of the King. With Jesus as our Savior, we are children of the King. Father, I pray that you've spoken to hearts this morning. 
Lord, I pray that there's someone here that's never trusted Christ as Savior, and they're part of the Adam family. I pray, Father, that you would help them now to be born into the kingdom of God. Lord, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But thank you, Lord Jesus, that the free gift of God is eternal life through your Son. Speak, Lord, and have your way and your will in these moments of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.